This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Bogue. Hey, Joris. How are you doing today? I'm doing very, very well. It's another wonderfully sunny day in Valencia. I just uh, got done mm. walking around in the town. How are you doing? I'm good. It's a sunny day in Boston right now. So okay. I'm uh, enjoying that. And who do we have today on the 3D pod? Well, today um, we have Kenneth Jang. And Kenneth is the founder of the Spaghetti Detective. And Spaghetti Detective is a machine learning, uh, machine vision based startup or tool that can. Uh, detect faults in your your desktop 3D printer. So if your desktop 3D printer prints air or yeah, all the spaghetti comes out, let's say all of the the misprint goes completely wrong, then the uh, spaghetti detective will will warn you, and you can stop the print. And that's kind of literally what uh, Kenneth's uh, company does. So uh, yeah, welcome to the 3D Pod, Kenneth. Hey, uh, good morning, guys. Yeah, thanks for thanks for being here, Kenneth. So. So of first off, what was the genesis for the Spaghetti Detective? How did you get started with it? I think I can rewind that back to you about uh, 2015 uh, when I just got exposed to Octoprint. Um, it was clear to me that Octoprint was like the best um, software for um, monitoring, um, like of, uh, for monitoring remote monitoring of your 3D printers. And then. Um, but then uh, I was already building a uh, plugin for Octoprint. Um, and then fast forward about two years later, I think it was in 2017, 2018, when I was also teaching myself about uh, AI. Basically, it was a deep learning technology. And it quickly became clear to me that, hey, like uh, this is definitely the best technology to um, detect the 3D printing failures uh, with nothing but a webcam. So that idea really excited me. Um, I was still working on my full-time job. I just did it as a side project, not knowing like, hey, you know, if that's an idea excite me, I don't know how, much, uh, how many more users will, uh, will also be excited about the same idea. Um, but then, um, push that out, I think the beta in 2019, um, it just took off from there. Okay, okay. And so, so, how, so how, how does it work does it exactly? Work? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a good question too. Um, the, um, so you guys are probably like, uh, familiar with, uh, for example, how AI works um, when it comes to facial uh, recognition uh, or even like self-driving uh, technology, right? So it's a um, deep learning, basically, uh, they call it a convolutional neural network. It's basically a huge matrix that just processes the image, the webcam image data, and then outputs a value between zero to one. Uh, when it comes to facial recognition, it'll uh, output a value from zero to one to say, hey, does this picture look like a face, right? There's a face in it. Um, basically the same idea. Uh, we, you, we built, a, uh, we call this a model, basically huge uh, metrics process the uh, inputs we, um, uh, the user send us from their webcam. And we calculate the value from zero to one to say, hey, like, what's the possibility of that image actually contains the spaghetti? So that's uh, like really, really the, the uh, like whatever, uh, how, however it works under the hood. So just so I can understand, 
are you feeding the computer the 3D model as well so it knows what it should look like? Or are you more looking for a spaghetti kind of uh, output? Like if we see spaghetti, tell them to stop. Or is it like, it looks like it should look, so keep going. Or it doesn't look like it should look, so stop. It is the latter. It is basically, uh, we just look for the pattern of spaghetti. Um, having said that, the, um, I think it's actually the holy grail um, if we could actually take the 3D model and then do some kind of like 3D um, projection onto like 2D plan and try to compare. I think that's the holy grail for uh, failure detection, but we're not there yet. What are you seeing as the biggest impediment at this time uh, to achieving that, to getting to closer to the holy grail? I mean, not all the way, but... Um, in theory, it, it can be done. In our experiments, we actually have achieved that uh, in terms of, like, in a very constricted environment. If we set up our, um, the webcam in exactly the same angle, exactly the same position, the, the, exactly the... Uh, the, the specify the focal length, uh, we can do that. Almost basically, you can say that we have already created in a lab. Uh, however, that's not the expectation we can put on a regular user, right? Even in the industrial implementation, um, that kind of precision is not even um, possible. So the biggest impediment is actually how we can somehow improve uh, the technology so that it can be more relaxed in, uh, in terms of like the condition, the lighting, the, um, the webcam and everything. Um, so you can think of it, um, I don't know what's the, the right analogy, uh, analogy for that. Uh, maybe self, uh, I'm just making this up, right? Maybe self-driving technology was already there um, 20 years ago, but it can only drive on exactly like the predefined road um, that somehow created in the lab, right? But it couldn't really um, um, be put into the daily use until like 20 years later, right? Even nowadays, when the road condition is a little bit tricky, they still can't handle that. Does it make sense? I'm not sure if I... Uh... No, no, yeah, that makes sense. But um, so, so and, and how do you go about... So, so just take us through the... I think a lot of us are like... I, I think like I say that AI and all this machine learning to me is a bit smurf, you know? <laughs> it's, like it's used it's used like smurf we're gonna smurf this and then smurf you know it's, it's kind of meaningless at the moment so how would you go about writing an ai app i'll say if you will how do you how do you go about do you how do you start so actually start from collecting the data uh, collecting the training data so in this case um, for the spady detective what we need to do is to have a lot of like data um coming from that, that was why we uh had the beta um phase when the user sign up for free but then um, they, their data will be collected into a pool of like training data. And then we, um, the, the, the user will tell us, hey, this um, picture contains um, spaghetti. That picture doesn't. And then we feed that into a training process. Um, that training says, the process actually does nothing but just sucking all those um, data from the training pool and then output the, the model, basically the huge metric um, that we can. Um, then use that to um, do the prediction uh, piece, which is, hey, now I have, um, there's a real-time webcam picture coming in, uh, crunch that 
through this uh, metric and then output the value from zero to one. And that's how it starts. But how do you, so the bigger the data set, the better, right? So, so. Absolutely. And then how do you, and then, buy, but then the idea is that the machine will learn. So you don't input rules, right? Or you do in the beginning, or do you keep doing that? Or how does that work? We've never input any rules. Okay. That's to learn it itself. Yeah. Yeah. But so that the, it learns based upon the user saying, this is spaghetti, this is not spaghetti. Exactly. Okay. And, and if you would want to do anything, like imagine, like, does it also recognize nozzle clogs or not? Or that, that it isn't? Um, in theory, uh, if we have enough training data, uh, we can do that. As a matter of fact, we, um, uh, we, we call this a blob. So basically, the um, a huge blob of uh, uh, filaments that, uh, that's forming. Uh, we have had some success detecting that just because we have um, some amount of uh, data in our training data sets that like, you know, has that characteristic. Um, but it's way less than the spaghetti training data we mm -hmm. have. So the mm -hmm. accuracy is not very high. Okay. Yeah, I, should, I, should, I should hook it up to my printer, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I have more problems with the blobby uh, kind of like the atomic stuff than, than I do with <laughs> yeah, I know everyone wants us to solve this problem, like, you know, very reliably. Uh, we're not there yet, but hey, we're working on that. So how many users did you have in your beta program to, to get to gather the initial information to build the, the model? Uh, it was thousands. I don't know if we crossed 10,000 marks um, by the time we officially launched, but we, we at least had thousands of users at that time. And and user and you take in like the the video stream right or is it images still images or how does it work? Um, good question. It's actually still images. Okay. And you're and you're processing them back in a server side, right? It's not happening on the the consumer's computer. No, it can happen in um, like on the Raspberry Pi or even just a regular PC. Uh, we were uh, the training has to happen on the GPU VMs, actually multiple of them, and they're actually pretty beefy. <laughs> so right. that's actually the, uh, the, 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 uh, the most expensive part of the whole process. And, and is that just something that's like Amazon AWS or something similar? Or? Yes, yeah. So yeah, I, how much cryptocurrency the... you could have been mining? <laughs> I don't know. Probably a lot yeah. with the equivalent uh, GPU power. Right. Yeah. You should do a screensaver that it like it does a screensaver and then it secretly mines crypto and then is supposedly <laughs> checking your printer. Uh, get my printer so, to mine so crypto what, on the Raspberry what it, Pi. What it, what it does detect something wrong is it is it, is the software now hooked up so that it can actually stop the printer or does it first want a human to say? Stop the printer. We actually have both. So we mm -hmm. let the user to decide when uh, we detect a uh, suspected uh, spaghetti, if uh, we should just text them to alert them, or we should actually, uh, we never completely cancel the print. Uh, just, you know, like you can never say, pause right? Uh, yeah, like yeah, we pause it. But that's also optional. Like user can opt out of the, the pausing function and say, just alert me. You know, I'll, I'll check it out myself. Okay. The business model is essentially, it's free to use, right? So for a certain extent, and if I want to be a power user, I pay like five bucks a month or something like that? Yes. Yeah. It's more like the, um, so the, the, the free version has only limited amount of like uh, hours that we can like um, detect for you. 
-hmm. again, just because GPU, we have to run the detection on the GPU VM as well, and GPU VMs are pretty expensive. Um, and then uh, if you become a pro, um, it's like, you know, $4 per month if you pay like uh, annually. Um, but if you go month over month, then it's $6 per month. Okay, okay. And is this like enough for you to, like you, you implied that you were doing this full time now or how, 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 what are, you know, business-wise, does this work? I have to say that we're actually ramen profitable right now. Uh, it's actually, okay, like, hey, cool. <laughs> I know, like it's actually pretty exciting. But at the beginning, like <laughs> we were deep in the red. I remember there was a time that for many, many months in a row, I had to uh, really pay out of my pocket to fill a gap between like the, uh, the bill basically we paid to the cloud providers and uh, the money we were able to collect from the pro subscribers. Um, but I think eventually um, the makers, they uh, eventually warm up to the concept of uh, actually it's okay to pay for a 3D printing software. <laughs> so <laughs> I think once the people have like, you know, um, I think the mindset changed a little bit and then we started to see that the subscription, a uh, number of subscribers and the subscription um, revenue, if you call it like that way, mm -hmm. just, you know, they catch up to, um, they have caught up to the cost and now we're basically running profitable. Yeah. How many, can you disclose how many subscribers you currently have? Or? We have uh, across 4,000 subscribers now. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Thank you. That's awesome. And, and, is that, and what does that mean? So that gives you options, right? You can now maybe, you know, rent people, do some. So what are you trying to plan for the future then? Yeah, that's uh, totally give us some flexibility in terms of like just what we could do. Uh, I am a backend engineer. So I wrote like easily 90, if not 95% of the backend code. But I, you know, I'm not very good with the mobile app development mm -hmm. so and you know that we actually just uh, built up the uh, the mobile app and mm -hmm. um, because we uh, have some kind of extra um, cash now I was able to uh, find a pretty good but like very inexpensive mobile developer um, and then um, you know he's located in Russia and that's why he's not very expensive <laughs> um, but you know like you know I can't see how that can be possibly done without like some extra cash that we have. And what do you hope to do for the future? May you want to do more, more, you know, fault tolerance kind of QA kind of stuff? In terms of the, the AI technology? No, no, in terms of just like, what, what kind of more functionality do you want to add? Oh, that's a really good question. Like, you know, the, uh, like I said, the, we have, we're always working toward the Holy Grail. We definitely want to, um, like the, the biggest thing is definitely to improve the accuracy of the model. Um, we're still debating if um, basically the Holy Grail is actually worth pursuing. Um, mm. techn technologically speaking, uh, it's definitely superior. But then uh, if it's going to be, ever be practical enough, we never know. Um, if, you know we will, even if it is, you know, if we will ever have enough resource to pursue that, we never know. So, um, but like what we do know is that we can make incremental improvement to our current uh, model. So that's definitely something we are working on. We have always been working on. Uh, and another thing is like, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, one big thing we learned through the process um, of like working, talking to the users was really like the uh, automated 
affiliate detection is one of the things they want. Um, as a matter of fact, they, um, most of the users, they are not comfortable with leaving everything to us, even if we can promise them that, hey, like it's 100% uh, accurate, which is not. Um, they, the, the users do want some, um, the control, like the, um, to directly, uh, to be able to monitor those printers themselves. So that's why we started to build um, uh, things like um, the webcams. The, uh, like I said at the beginning, when we were building the AI, the, um, the, our plugin, Octoprint plugin was actually sending still images. But now it's no longer the case. We're doing the uh, H.264 streaming, um, basically the same streaming technology as Zoom meeting or you know, whatever, uh, the, uh, the newest and um, coolest uh, technology streaming. Like, and we're actually the best webcam streaming um, uh, like application that you can find for Octoprint. So um, th this is important because the users actually, they, they want to monitor the things themselves, even if we have AI as a backup. And no, they, I can hook your Octoprint up to your OnlyFans. <laughs> I was thinking more like your Twitch channel, but yeah, that works too. <laughs> well, yeah, like the our, our, you know the uh, the webcam streaming um, thing we're using is it, uh, it's not different from uh, like Twitch, right? So um, that's um, yeah, it costs you know a lot of my time, but I know it's worth it um, because that's you know what the makers want. Yeah. And how do you, so you're, you're completely focused on Octoprint. And of course, the startup exists kind of because the Octoprint was there. Um, you know, how does that work? Do, 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 is it just free for you to, to be on top of Octoprint? And how does that work? Um, the, uh, do you mean like the, uh, what's the, there like a like licensing the, fee? Or? Ah, yeah. I, Octoprint, I think it's completely free. Well, it's not, I think. I, um, I, we don't have to really pay anything to Gina uh, to really build on top of Octoprint. So that's you know why we actually love Octoprint. We you know we're definitely the um, a loyal um, member of the Octoprint community. But then the um, uh, for the longest time, you know, we actually didn't give back to Octoprint just just because we couldn't at the time. You know, we didn't have that you know, mm -hmm. Resource to do that, but now we actually started to sponsor Octoprint um, a few months back. Again, you know, because now we have a, a little bit of um, we're in a better cash flow position, so we were able to do that. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's that's very good. I mean, I think you could also think about giving it away for free, in, or giving Octoprint away for free, or something with a subscription. Well, the uh, Octoprint, the user can always like you know install the Octoprint for free themselves. Yeah. And that's what we ask them to do right now. Um, oh, okay. But then, you know, like, hey, we know that without Octoprints, there's no, there will be no disability detective. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's why, like, you know, whenever we could, we just found, like, for example, uh, get back to, uh, actually before our sponsorship, um, I was already, um, um, I already, um, like, was uh, donating to uh, Gina's GitHub as well as their um, mm -hmm. Patreon account. But those were smaller amounts compared to the sponsorship. Okay, that's mm -hmm. good. I think it's interesting that you, you feed the open source ecosystem that you came from. I think that's really nice. I think it's, it's really good. It's really smart, I think, as well. And I thought there was a paid version or something, but there's nothing paid there. You can't even give them money, right? 
You can donate, uh, but you can't actually give them money, I don't think. Right. That's true. Yes. Okay. That's like okay. That's weird because I know a lot of people that use it. I don't. I've never. That's really strange. Do you have any idea how many people use Zocalyn? Because the thing is, I've never had this idea of doing this, of like hooking my printer up to the the internet. You know. Um, I actually don't know. I don't even know if Gina knows, because uh, mm -hmm. it's not a service. Like, you know, we mm -hmm. have a pretty accurate count on like mm -hmm. how many users are using us, which is tens of thousands. Mm -hmm. uh, I would I wouldn't be surprised if like Octoprint has like more of the magnitude of more users than mm -hmm. the Spade Detective. So mm -hmm. my estimate will be hundreds of thousands, but it's totally yeah. just my speculation. Yeah, I have no idea, but but uh, it must be really large. If if you know, depending on like the, not a lot of people pay for open source stuff, right? Not a lot of people pay for maker <laughs> software, right? Yeah, that was so, exactly what kind of heard us at the beginning. But I think this has started change. Do you think like um are are you gonna be, are you gonna be catering still to that maker market, or do you see more stuff happening in 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 the industrial space, or what do you think? I was asked about this question like quite often, but I would say. At least I don't have a plan to uh, pursue other, uh, like for example, industrial printing or enterprise uh, kind of market. Um, yeah, like you know the uh, like I said, unless I'm really surprised, I'm like I have already grabbed like eighty percent of Octoprint users, which I don't think is the case. I probably mm -hmm. I don't know I have ten percent or even less than ten percent Octoprint users, so there are mm -hmm. enough, um, like additional users I have to serve, right? You know, mm -hmm. why bother um, changing to a different space? Mm -hmm. yeah, sure, and, and I think one interesting thing is you, you, of course, you have somewhere, I mean, you'd have to look about if, if it's a good idea to do this, but theoretically, you could also calculate which filament fails the most, for example, or which printers fail the most, or which models, right? Um, we actually did some analysis. Uh, yeah. At some point, if you check our um, blog, Slides, um, we um, published some data, uh, mostly around analysis um, around those uh, printer models. Um, mm -hmm. That was probably 2020. I think um, sometime in 2020, we published a, um, um, some analysis, not very in detail, but like, you know, like for example, one thing that surprised us was like, actually, quality uh, failure rate isn't necessarily a lot higher than Prusa, which was what we like, almost assumed mm -hmm. to begin with. Is it well? Is it much higher? What was the, what were your findings then about? I mean, I would expect it to be there. There is still a significant difference between them. You know? Uh, no. No. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the difference was actually very noticeable. I can Ooh. I can send you the link after this uh, podcast. Like, uh, to no, our, okay. we'll include wow. it in the post. Do Do you remember who was the who was the best? Which printers were performing? I don't exactly the best? remember. Maybe even Creality was the best. Like you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, <laughs> Like basically, mm -hmm. the uh, I remember the top ones were pretty close to each other. Yeah, because that could be interesting to inform your decision about what printer to buy. Because I would assume yeah. always that the Bruce is the best. I, I really like them. I think they do a lot of good quality control stuff, quality assurance stuff, and and um, I certainly have the feeling I have a lot less failed prints uh, off of my the Bruce stuff I have than the other um, stuff I have. But, but that the, could be interesting to know, right? Yeah, one caveat though is that. Uh, our data set may be biased. Uh, what I mean Always. by that is um, I have a feeling that the users who are using Octoprint very heavily, they're probably um, uh, more, uh, they're not necessarily, most of them probably not beginners. 
right? Mm -hmm. That when you're beginners, you're really just like, you know, trying to make a 3D printer work. But then when you're more advanced, that's when you sort of think about hey, how I monitor it, how I control it remotely, et cetera. And on top of that, I think the our users are probably more toward the early adopters, right? They're more tech savvy, maybe. Um, so that's why I feel like a, I know that a lot of GSD users, they heavily modify their printer uh, right. myself. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm, I have no doubt that Pushout can do a lot better job just out of the box, right? Like, you know, I don't know how many times I've heard people saying that, hey, you know, just put Pushout together. It's just like keep on printing, right? You don't have to change anything. Whereas this is uh, like more users are saying that, oh, I got my Ender 3 on, took me a week to be able to start to have some good print. Um, however, like, you know, once the, the user have modified their printer, like have um, fixed the problems, initial problems with the Ender 3, you know, it can be a workhorse. Mm -hmm. So that's, I guess, you know, that's my best guess. I don't know if that's, you know, how I should mm -hmm. read from our data. Mm -hmm. uh, it'd be interesting to know. I mean, <clears throat> you can also say how often people print and stuff and try to figure out where they are. And that kind of thing, but you you would have a bias, but also like biases. For example, people maybe they're you know they're away from home a lot, or they're busy a lot, or they have a lot of different stuff going on. You know, if I work yeah. from home, so you know, I, have, I have a lot of time to <laughs> to look at my printer if I wanted to, right? So, yeah. So for me, like I wouldn't. Yeah, you know, I've never even thought of this. This is really funny. I've, I know Octopoint exists. I know like a lot of people use it. And they're really happy with it. But I've been working from home for years, so I've never really felt the need to say, oh, you know what I should do? I get a webcam and uh, watch my prints grow. You know? So that's, that's really interesting. But I, I thought it'd be interesting to look at this data on aggregate, because I, I think the most interesting thing is that we have a lot of failures uh, based upon the tolerance of the, uh, of the filament. So the dimensional tolerance of the filament or the roundness or ovality of the filament, that causes a lot of like the, the, the failures in the nozzle. Mm. And um, and a lot of like under tolerance of filament, like so, or or what, what a lot of cheap vendors do, they then make the filament much thinner than it needs to be, right? Uh, because they don't want to clog the nozzle, and that uh, ends up getting problems with over and under extrusion, you know. And then so a lot of people then try to correct it with the with the with the settings, but actually it's the filament. <laughs> so it would be interesting to know if, like, for example, if a certain filament would be much better than another one, you know. At least for now, we can. Uh, do this kind of analysis because we don't know what filaments uh, the users are mm -hmm. using. We know exactly what uh, the, 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 the printer model area, but not the free filament. As a matter of fact, I, th I think this is, we are like, you know, the uh, inside the, the team, we will call this a team, most of them are just like volunteers. Uh, when we're mm -hmm. discussing this, uh, we feel like that's almost like uh, the next big thing um, that needs to happen for 3D printing, right? Is mm -hmm. that, which is like, Hey, there's an easy way to um, identify the filaments, like automatically record when you change the filament, like what filaments you're using, etc. Mm -hmm. It helps, like you know, a lot of usability problems, such as, hey, you know, do I have enough filaments left for the next print? Mm -hmm. <laughs> People are asking yeah. these questions all the all the time, and you know, no, nobody has come up with a perfect solution for that. Mm -hmm. um, but it solved this problem, but also it solved exactly the problem that you mentioned. Right? Once yeah. we have we know exactly what filaments have been printed. Yeah. Uh, guess what? We can do a lot more analysis than otherwise. Yeah. Weigh your spool. That's, uh, that's what I do. Weigh, I, your, I, weigh I, your spool. No, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I know. I know. 
I'm I'm curious kind of have you ever thought about a larger application set for like printer farms? You know, potentially like uh, trying to sell this tech to um you know like a shapeways type of company so that they can set up a webcam at every printer and then they only need one person kind of monitoring the print, so to speak. Um, I can see how that happens. It's just we've been too busy to really explore that. Uh, we enough. have many, many uh, smaller print farms on our platform. Basically, they found us. Right? Like, oh, so uh, you do have print farms using it right now? Yeah, I think our biggest, uh, biggest subscription has about um, 15, 16 printers. I'm pretty sure that's a print farm. And I remember talking to you like their, their owner and, um, you know, they're print farm in the garage, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, but still, you know, you can't say they're, they're not print farm. Uh, 16 printers is probably a lot for most people. <laughs> <laughs> I have a dependency, but that's a bit much for me. Right. I, I, I mean, I, they send I, them I to me, right? More. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do you have, Max? What do you have? Uh, I have uh, two snap makers, a V1 yeah. and a V2, and I have a... Like a, a what are the the resin printers, the really yeah. cheap ones. I can't remember which one to be quite honest. Elegoo, whatever. Elegoo. <laughs> yeah. Million. And then I have an original. Um, oh god, what was it called? Robo uh, I have one from. Like, <laughs> yeah, basically one from 2010, 2011. Yeah. Uh, it still works, okay, <laughs> but okay, I don't okay. use it as much anymore. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then how about you, Kenneth? What do you What do you What do you have at home? Um. Currently, I have an Ender 3 and I have a very old ANAT. Okay. <laughs> ANAT was actually my first printer. Uh, Which is probably why you came up with the Spaghetti Detective. Does it also detect flames? <laughs> is there a flame machine learning algorithm? Look, almost every, every uh, I, I built uh, three, three or four, three Octoprint plugins so far. Yeah. It's fair to say that all of them I built for my ANAT. Uh, <laughs> You know, no, I have I have an ANET as well. Actually, actually, I have an ANET. Oh, I don't know which one it is, but it actually works really well. I'm really happy with it. Um, yeah, like I, I, I modified that a lot, but like after I got this like uh, dialed in, mm -hmm. it works like it, it works really well. It works really well. Yeah, I've got I've got I've got two ANET, two uh, Creality. I've got a Ultimaker to go, which are super cute or useless, but they they print really well. It's really well. And we've got a forum labs, uh, whatever two or something, not not the the, the other one. Uh, I got like two or three like semi mystery printers <laughs> that, I, that are in pieces. <laughs> that I'm literally like I'm cannibalizing them from parts. They're, they're like they're right. like uh, sent to me before Kickstarters, you know, before they did the Kickstarter, you know. Um, so I just cannibalize those for parts, and then I have two Delta uh, printers. They're also like just cheap ones, and that's it. But most of them are in storage actually right now. But uh, yeah, and I think I think it's, there's this huge difference between like, for example, the engineering and a, I don't, I'm getting a Prusa in, in a while, and I have well, I gave a Prusa away, I love, uh, like an actual Prusa. Um, I like how we have to specify that it's an actual Prusa. <laughs> I'm getting a new one, so that's uh, like I'm getting I think the little one, uh, which I really like. But yeah, I think it's I think to me the differences are like in the quality of the parts and how long they last. And uh, and yeah, I do notice. I do, I do. But that's almost anecdotal. Now I'm doubting my own thing. But I do notice there's a big difference between uh, you know the quality I get and the repeatability I get on on, on the better system too. Yeah, that uh, I have no question about that. Uh, I, and I'm jealous of you guys. Like, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you have a lot of fun that I wish I had. Yeah. Actually, that's the funny <laughs> thing. 
about like you know uh the spirit detective i like you know the uh i did it because you know i'm a maker myself i i, I want to have fun but then mm-hmm. i'm so like overwhelmed by you know everything i have to do for the spirit detective i yeah. barely print it's embarrassing to mention but i'm i'm yeah. i'm I barely print anymore. Oh no, <laughs> that's terrible. I know. <laughs> so you're busy, yeah. So there's a shoemaker kind of like a thing, right? right. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have my own shoes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Dude. But mm-hmm. and, and but do you have like as a user? Do you have things that you wanna you you think you might wanna? Hey, one, one other thing is like, do do you, have you thought of using sound to detect errors as well? Oh, that's such a great question. We no, that is good. explore that exact direction. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, as mm-hmm. everything else. Uh, but yeah, we have thought about it. Not mm-hmm. there yet. Uh, on our roadmap, I don't know when and how we mm-hmm. can do it. Okay, I'm okay. I'm curious on on the Holy Grail question. Um, using the webcam, can't you you know tell the software I'm using X Y Z printer, and therefore you know the print bed is X by Y. And so that can help you to calculate the three-dimensionality off the 2D image. You can get it from the G-code as well. Huh? It's enough. already in the G-code. It has the G-code because it goes through Octoprint, right? It does, right? Yeah, or but not. the uh, thing about this, actually, G-code is, uh, this is actually already a, a difficulty about uh, this, uh, this mod, uh, this basically uh, mechanism. G-code yeah. itself is actually not a model. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a machine code, right? Like to yeah. reverse engineer G code into a 3D model is already not easy. It's actually a very yeah. difficult part. We, we, we skipped that part. We didn't even try. Uh, we just went directly to the SPL, which mm-hmm. is another um, lab condition, right? Most of the users, they won't tell us what SPL they slice the okay. But anyway, um, yeah. Yeah, like the, uh, the, the, the idea you guys just mentioned was like, you know, basically using some kind of like uh, we were uh, like one mechanism we're thinking about is to, for example, like to let the user print some kind of pattern on their back right. so that we identify it. Easier said than done. <laughs> right. No. Oh, yeah. Especially if it's spaghettis. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, the uh, the problem with uh, that approach is like requires almost like uh, like the, the precision level that just like feels a little bit unreal. You just think you don't think it's, it's, it's theoretically it's a wonderful idea, but actually practicality it's like missing, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I uh, that's the feeling I have about this approach. Um, and you know, which is not surprising because there are plenty of uh, technology that actually sounds very good in theory, but just very, right. very hard to practice. No, because I think the interesting thing would be to, 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 you only need the outside boundary, right? The, the outside boundary line of where, you, where it needs to be, right? The, 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 the first layer, if you will. Oh, well, if we just want to do first layer, that's a lot easier. But like, I mm-hmm. could see a lot of uh, times problems happen uh, after the first layer, mm-hmm. especially the things that we can't detect with just spaghetti, like for example, warping mm-hmm. um, or layer shifting, right? They mm-hmm. don't happen on the first layer. If mm-hmm. on the first layer is relatively easier because like mm-hmm. as long as there's enough like uh, contrast between the bed and the filament, mm-hmm. we can um come but we can actually um how should I put this? We can derive from the image, like the, the webcam image that what was being printed on the bed. But then when mm-hmm. you go beyond the first layer, 
first layer was 2D, right? You can think of it as 2D. Yeah. Right. Once you go beyond the first layer, it really becomes a 3D. <coughs> and now, like, you can have, like, uh, one corner, um, like, uh, one arm that's sitting in front of some, um, like, pattern in the background. But those, the, both of them were being printed. And then you throw in the, um, the um, what's the, the, the thing I'm looking for? The, the, uh, the support, right? Like right. The, um, and all these things just complicated to make it, I don't know how practical that will be. Mm-hmm. Too bad you can't print AR codes into the support. <laughs> without them noticing uh-huh <laughs> well no i just well with them noticing that it doesn't matter if you put an augmented reality uh, qr code yeah. essentially in there then you have a known size and, and stuff like that to try and help it but it's still complicated don't get me wrong i'm not suggesting that this yeah. is like I mean, wave a magic wand and it's simply solved yeah but at the end you have an image of the fully grown part right so you can take the image and then compare it to images in thingiverse and then you won't find it for everything, but for some of them, you'll find it. And then you can compare it. But then you scrape Thingiverse and you download all the files. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not is... saying you could, you should do this. I'm saying it's, it's theoretically possible to do this. Yeah, like for the finished part, right? You, when yeah. it's in the middle, like the, um, yeah. everything looks very different from, uh, from the finished part. But like the, the error code, like the map that you mentioned, is actually a pretty interesting idea. I never thought about it. But mm-hmm. um, if we somehow have a way to, mm-hmm. Almost like um, if we can alter the uh, the um, the G code so that it'll bring some kind of like reference point for us, right? Yeah. That that I don't know. That may work. I I'll think uh, I'll uh, I'll think more about it. <laughs> no, uh, or just a raft, no, right? Or a raft that you could select. You know, AR raft or something that just spins around. Yeah. Okay. Or you 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 put AR tags on the printer bed or on the printer head. Or on both, all of those locations, and then you could also try to do something with that. No, both, uh, both. Because in the but, picture, in the picture, you have the head of the printer and the the thing on the bed, and then you'll know how perpendicular they are as well. Mm. And that would be super cool because then you mm-hmm. could say if the bed is not aligned or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, seriously, I, I'm pretty sure you could see if the bed is not aligned or or the head is not aligned as well. Okay. That's interesting. Sounds like you know, yeah, like the uh, you guys got me intrigued enough. I probably will explore that direction. Then you know, if cool. we get anywhere, I'm definitely gonna give you uh, credit for that. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone, I mean, keep reminding you. I was like, I invented the 3D printing pen. I invented the 3D printing pen. You'll keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, one thing. Oh, I, I, we totally forgot to ask. We skipped over this. What causes spaghetti? I mean, you're the spaghetti oh, yeah. detective. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh we forgot. We forgot. The uh, the the bed adhesion is definitely the number one cause of spaghetti. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on top of that, like the uh, well, the uh, the other uh, causes of the spaghetti, like the the support that's not like um, placed in the right place, or the complete missing support. What else? Like the bridging. Um, people sometimes didn't do bridging well. Oh, actually, it happens. You know, more often than I thought. The uh, the print head uh, for some of the printers, uh, either because of warping or whatever, the print head will actually collide with uh, the part itself. Mm-hmm. And right. then, you know, at some points, either just knock part of the, the model down mm-hmm. or like the whole, knock the mm-hmm. whole part of the, the bed. And then mm-hmm. obviously you're going to start uh, mm-hmm. the uh, printing spaghetti. So I, actually, as an OEM, if you look at all the data you provide, right, you could tell like Creality or XYZ or somebody 
you could say this is the error. This is the sum total of the error of your A net A10 printer. You know, you could go to them and say, hey, there's a recoder bump kind of thing, or there's a, a miss extrusion kind of thing. There's a you could actually literally go to them and say, look, you pay me like a, a pro subscription. We'll take mm -hmm. all the data with the user's permission, and then we'll tell them, uh, you know, you need to do something about your nozzle because your nozzle clogging is like your number one problem, right? Or your mm. layer adhesion is your number one problem. You have to come up with something like build tack, and then you, you that's you solve like you can even tell them you would solve sixty percent of your misprints of your customers if we extrapolated over your whole group, you know. And that's... they could then do a calculation, and say, ah, I would invest this much amount of money into making solving my bed adhesion problem. Mm, that actually sounds like very interesting idea. Okay, the only thing uh, right now is you know because how the speedy detective works. Uh, we don't know what was causing the spaghetti. We only know that, mm -hmm. hey, spaghetti happens one way or another. Mm -hmm. um, but then it probably, it probably doesn't take too much. For example, if we, uh, we can do a kind of like post-print uh, post survey, right? Mm -hmm. We can ask the user, hey, it mm -hmm. looks like you know, we detect a failure. Tell us how the failure happened. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's good enough. Nobody would help you. I know that as a when I was like involved in making printers myself, we we put webcams on them, we we monitor them and stuff, you know. So it would be a good commercial solution to either like for the people developing printers to monitor the prints, right? Uh, but also for like just in the wild coming back and saying, hey, if you would just solve your extrusion or your your feeder, then thirty percent of the problems are in your feeder. You know, that's the critical component. That would be really valuable. I think if I was an OEM, I would be really happy with that information. Yeah, that's uh, that. That sounds very reasonable. Well, wait, wait, one last, just general question, and then um, in general, are you are you seeing a trend of spaghetti increasing, decreasing, staying the same? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, I have to admit, that I haven't really uh, crunched the number to 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 do this, but I wouldn't be surprised if I would guess that it's probably trending down, right? Like the the hardware is getting better. Um, but I actually don't know. And right. to be honest with you, I feel like the uh, the history of uh, disability detective has not been long enough to even uh, start to notice that. If a good, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think you do have to innovate because otherwise, at one point, yeah, I don't think printers ever get really, really good. <laughs> but the better printers get, right. you know, the less the need is for, for spaghetti detective. Yeah, like the. Uh, uh, people keep on asking me this question too. I totally agree. Um, but to me, I don't really see the speedy detective as the tool to only detect spaghetti. I can say, you know, mm -hmm. like, the, hey, you know, the, the remote monitoring, the webcam streaming, uh, we're actually mm -hmm. the best uh, compared mm -hmm. to any other octoprint plugging or like, you know, commercial things, color, uh, fuller cloud, uh, like MakerBot, their, uh, their cloud uh, solution. Astro prints, you know, none of them can get close to us when it comes to like the webcam screen. So I kind of see um, disability detective like really being just um, a, a companion, like a um, for uh, the, the makers, like like there's something that that feel like oh I will have to use to make my three D printer smarter and more accessible. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of why, uh, how I see the spaghetti detective goes. You know, like if in the future there's no spaghetti, awesome. But hey, you know, right. what, what, <laughs> but there's something yeah, else. <laughs> yeah, like you know, what people needs a software to uh, to like make their three D printer better. I bet the answer is yes. Yeah.
Okay. Well, Kenneth, thank you so much for joining us today and talking to us all about uh, the Spaghetti Detective. And, uh, and so thank you so much for being here, Kenneth. Of course. Thank you. Uh, like my pleasure to talk to you guys. Okay, great. great. And, and uh, Max, thank you for being here as well. Thank you, Joris. And uh, my name is Joris Peels, and this is the 3D Pod. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.